My name is Matt Miller. I have the opportunity to be uh, one of your pastors here. And uh, today we're going to talk about humanity, right? Humanity. And that, that's chapter 7 of our Believe book, all right? And so uh, this is not a sales pitch. I want to use kind of what I'm experiencing in life right now to talk about why this could be an important book for you. And it's not about the book. It's about what happens around the book. My dear friend Rachel Moynes went to be with Jesus Thursday morning at 4.30 a.m. And the reason that Rachel is my dear friend is because we didn't go to church together, we did life together. This is important. Some of you go to church at New City. Some of you are a part of the church called New City. And I, I want to say to you that if you are just currently a Sunday goer, do whatever it takes for you to be a part of this church body. And if not this one, go find one that you think is better looking. But get involved with a church that you can actively participate in. That's how I got to know Rachel Moynes. I've, she's given me the honor of playing a, a large role in her memorial service on Tuesday. What an honor that is for me. And what a heavy responsibility. I'd appreciate your prayers this week as I prepare and what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it to honor my friend. But she's my friend because from church on Sunday morning, we went to Southside Community Church in Paragould, Arkansas. Uh, from that, we just got to do life together. And I would see her and we would serve and kind of miss and Rachel was a little bit older than me and uh and I used to make fun of her about her age and kid her and stuff but you know so we weren't in the same like same circles but we served in the same church but she met this guy named Chris and she made Chris go to a Bible study that I was a part of and the second Bible study that Chris came to we hit it off and we've been best buds since that time and so Rachel and I became really tight too right and so that happened because through a Bible study, and it wasn't believe, but right, a Bible study, I made church friends. And from those church friends, we began to serve together, and whatever ministry we were a part of, we tried to make it better as we did stuff together. And man, it also helped me grow spiritually, connect, serve, grow. I mean, we want you to make church friends. And so, like, at some point, I know this is going to surprise some of you, because some of you come here because you really like something about this church, whether that something's the worship, that something's the teaching, that something's kids, that something's the friendliness. At some point, that something will be just something normal, and it won't grab you like it once did. But church friends will always grab you, all right, and keep you tied to the body, amen? And so uh, tonight, uh, from 6 to 7.30, I asked Pastor Chris, and he put his blessing all over this. Uh, we're going to have a time to worship and celebrate Rachel's life here at New City. And so um, Pastor Chris, of course, is not going to be able to be here, but we're going to gather. So if you want to come back tonight from 6 to 7.30, we're gonna, it's going to be like super informal. We're just going to emcee it, Curtis and I and some of the uh, discipleship team. We're just going to lead through this tonight, and we're just going to celebrate what God has done. And we're going to celebrate the, Rachel, the life that Rachel lived and how, what she taught us. And so you're welcome to come back uh, tonight to, from 6 to 7.30 to be a part of that. But right after church today, and Libby mentioned this, but Rick Francis is in the room. We're having our baptism class today. And that's really key because several of us in this room have said yes to Jesus over the last four months. I've had that happen in my own home. And so today, I'm taking our foreign exchange student, Zen, to the baptism class. I'm going to sit with her because I want Zen to have a good understanding of what baptism is based on the scripture and why we do it. And so if you're here and you have said yes to Jesus recently, man, I want to invite you to come with me after the second service. We're going to be in room number three. Rick and John are going to lead us in a conversation of what does the scriptures teach about baptism and what is our next step. Because, man, I'm telling you, we want to celebrate how God is transforming lives and changing us. And so that's going to happen today, right after service. 
And I want you to finish a sentence for me. We're going to kind of begin to tear. Here's what you're going to need today, okay, to get the, to get the full boom out of this message. And by the way, uh, th- this could be the worst message you've ever heard, the best, or somewhere in the middle, because it's been a crazy weekend for me, all right, crazy week. But I need your participation, and if you don't participate, you're going to miss out on this. So you need to either have a piece of paper, that bulletin, and a pen, or you need to have your phone opened up to your notes section where you can follow along, because you got to play. This is a kind of a choose-your-own-adventure message, all right? This is a choose-your-own-adventure message, and so it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, it's going to be applicable to you uh, towards as we get to the end, but I'm, we're going to start it right away with play-along, okay? I want you to finish, I want you to complete this sentence. I want you to complete this sentence for me. Are you ready? I blank people. No, you don't write it down, because some of you don't love, right? And listen, don't give me no churchy word. I want it truthfully. And don't think about that person that you really like. I, I want you to think of the news channel you don't like. I want you to think about that car that cuts in front of you. I want you to think about just your average day, if you were being honest, I blank people. And if it is love, that's awesome. Just don't change it because that's what I said. But like if I were to fill in mine, keep, keep going, process this, I would be, I tolerate people. Just being honest, I'm just a dude. And left to my own, Matt Miller tolerates a lot of nonsense. All right, now, did you write your thing down? I want to play, you don't have to show it to me. You don't have to talk about it. It's just for you because we're going we're gonna to go on a journey uh, this morning um, to, to maybe what God. So we're in chapter 7 of this Believe book, okay? If you're currently not in a Believe City group, I want to encourage you to get into one, all right? They're happening throughout the week. They're on our website. They're on our app. Uh, you can find one by one of our leaders out in the lobby today. It's the next best way for you to make church friends is to get into a Believe City group, all right? I know some of you want to read the book on your own. Great, I want you to do that. But I also want to encourage you to get into a group where you can meet people, share your story, and talk about these issues. For example, this week you're going to talk about compassion. We're going to talk about how, what, what, what is the biblical context for compassion in the world in which we live. Today, I'm going to wrap up this idea of humanity. That's the chapter, chapter 7. Now, when you, if you were to Google or define humanity, here is the definition for humanity. Humanity is this. The human race, human beings collectively. The human race. So when you think about humanity, and the question is, how does God see humanity? How does God see the human race? How does God see people collectively? That's the big question, the big idea, kind of a thought for today's, uh, for today's message, is how does God see humanity? So the human race, human beings collectively. And that last word is the one that trips me up, collectively. Are you with me? Collectively, together, a unit. There seems to be fewer and fewer things that unite us. Can we agree to that? We're all on planet Earth check. We've all got blood rolling through our veins, check. After that, we can't find many things that we agree upon. I'm talking about humanity as a whole. There are way more things that divide us and separate us than that which unify us, connect us, bring us together, make us a collective. This is something I was processing this week that our culture that we're in, the culture that we, that we create, right, because we're, we're, we're not just uh, victims of culture, we help feed culture based on how we engage culture, Our culture is currently warping our ability to disagree and discuss important issues. Humanity, please catch this. Humanity, we have a problem. We don't know how to disagree or discuss important issues. Culture teaches us, we teach, we proclaim this. That if we don't agree, therefore you and I must be enemies. Like if Scott and I have an issue, even though we worship at New City Church together, if there is an issue that we disagree on, there is no way he and I can be friends. We must be enemies. That's what, that's what everything is teaching us in the world today. You, you feel me? 
I'm not saying that you completely buy into it. I'm just saying watch and listen. We are taught if someone disagrees with us, then it is your right to be offended by that. That if Ashley disagrees with something I say today, she is greatly offended. Right? Like we, we have like given a whole new definition to if what an offense is. Before it was just like, mm, whatever. Not anymore. If Joe disagrees with me, man, now Joe must, man, not only be my enemy, he must be offended by the stance at which I take. And I must be offended by him. How about this one? We are taught that if we are offended, we must also shout it from the mountaintops. Let's not keep it between Joe and I. Oh, no. Do you guys know what Joe did? Can can you believe what Joe did? Hey, I I have a prayer request. We need to pray for Joe. You're not going to believe what he did. That's how Christians do it, right? That's how Christians do it. So one, we can't, if we disagree, we must be enemies. And if we disagree, uh, therefore, I must be offended. And if I'm offended, I must make sure that everybody knows it. Is that not, we laugh, but is that not the world we live in right now? How in the world can we have unity, be a collective, when those three things are present? Man, I'm going to tackle that today. Rick Warren, he's a famous pastor out in California. He says this. He says, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise conviction to be compassionate. Right? Like, I can disagree with you, you can disagree with me, and us not be moral enemies. Right? Like, we, we can live in that world. Today, I want to give my best shot at helping you process um, two new, uh, maybe you, two unique perspectives. Perspectives that we all have the opportunity to, to engage in. It's the vertical perspective. How does God see humanity? And then the horizontal one, how do we see humanity? And my, where I'm taking us this morning is that it is my hope that we begin every day. Because it's not, it's not a one-off. This is not a crash course and you've got it. This is a daily thing. This is a, this is a path that you're going to walk. It's a race that you're going to run. That we would see horizontally as God sees vertically. Right? That we would see as God sees so that we would do as God says. Now, saying that goes, oh, man, that sounds really spiritual. Making it applicable to your life is very challenging. And that's what I want to kind of begin to unpack with us today. So you filled in the blank, I blank people, right? Did you do that with me? Now, based on what you read this week from chapter 7 in the book on humanity, uh, or you can take your best guess if you didn't read it, fill in this blank. God blanks people. God blank people. You think God is like Matt and God tolerates people? What does God do? Absolutely. God loves people. Hey, did you know this morning that the sun, did you guys notice the sunshine? Wasn't it great? Kind of what makes me have church outside right now, right? It's just what the sun, I forgot what the sun looked like. It's pretty awesome. I forgot what it's like to have Sunday with there not being snow on the ground. It's, the, it's, it's, it's remarkable, right? Did you know this morning the sunshine came down on the good and the wicked? What? Did you know that when Shawnee plows the roads and gets the snows off the road, they do it on the people that live, the mean people that live on your street, not just the good people? That is called God's common grace. Not the snow shoveling piece. That's Shawnee's common grace, right? God just simply loves humanity. This is what the scripture teaches. God loves the world. God loves the world. Like he doesn't give the sunshine on the good people and the, and the, and the, the people this morning who are wicked and evil or, or whatever that means in your mind. They woke up with their snow all over their driveway and black ice everywhere. No, no. They got the same sunshine you got. Sometimes the wicked people catch the green light on the way to work. 
right? Like it's not just well, God does this for me, but all those. No, 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 no. Look, I want to. Here, here's the, just a simple. It's a famous scripture. But notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, "For God so loved the world." Who did God love? Yeah, the humanity. He wasn't talking about a, a, a ball, a rock in the, floating in space. He wasn't talking about the dirt and just the flowers. He was talking about humanity. That God lo- so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not per- perish but have eternal life. That God loved all of the humanity on the planet that he did something. So I just want to break down this scripture real quick, okay? So I'm just going to ask you some questions based on John 3.16. That's all I want to do. And we're just going to kind of unpack this really important verse that many of you have memorized. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting eternal life. Here we go. What did God do based on that scripture? I think think we have John 3.16 actually. I don't know if it's going to be up there or not, but what did God do? God what? Loved. Okay, so God loved. Now, how was God's love expressed? God so loved the world that he what? Gave. So now listen, I want you to begin to connect some dots for you personally. God loves the world, and out of his love, he did something. He gave. Are you with me so far? I mean, I'm not, it's not too complicated, right? Because we can say we love, but if it doesn't spur us to action, right? You can say you love your wife all you want. But if you don't ever tell or show or whatever, or you can, right, but quick, I'm, I'm going to chase a rabbit, so let me get back, right? How was God's love expressed? God gave. Now, here's the next one. What did God give based on that scripture? For God so loved the world, he gave what? His son. Yeah, God gave something very specific. Did he look down the line of all of his children and say, oh, which one doesn't do much around the house? Okay, I'm going to give you. Did he do that? No. What did God give? His one and only son. He didn't have a plethora of sons. He had one son, Jesus Christ, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. The one God sent that stepped into the neighborhood to teach us how to live, to teach us how to forgive, to teach us how to love, to teach us how to serve. So God loved humanity so much that out of his love he gave, and he specifically gave his one and only son. Now why did he give Jesus? So that we would not what? We would not perish but have everlasting life. God gave his son on purpose. Like God sent his son, Jesus. Was it, were any of you alive when this happened? No. That's why the scripture says that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. Like, like this has happened for humanity and keeps on going. That God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son so that anyone who would believe in him would not perish, but would happen. what would happen? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting or eternal, what? Eternal fear? Life. Like what the gift that God gave, gives us in Jesus, from that gift, you have the opportunity to live. To live. Like some of you don't feel like you're living. Life's not what you thought it would be. Look at John 3.16. God gave his son because he loves you so much that when you believe, and it's not like, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus like I believe in whatever. No, no, no. When it's a type of belief that really just kind of soaks into every part of your body. You marinate in this love and this belief in Jesus. And because of that, you don't have to worry about being perished, but you get to live. Like Rachel Moinks today is living. You're stuck listening to me. Right? Sorry. But she's living. But we get to practice and try that on every day. 
Like you have the opportunity to either wallow in this mess that we call life or you can live in who Christ is in you. And that has happened because of who you, what you put your belief and your trust in. God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son for you that if you will believe in him, you don't have to perish, but you can have everlasting life. Not just down the road once you breathe your last, but starting today. Like, man, that's, that's receiving, not just hearing, but receiving the gospel, the good news. Is that God loves you. You need to hear this. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, I know that's true. No, no, no. Because Tim Tebow put it under his eyebrows. You, or eyebrows. These are, not, these are eyebrows. It's under his eye, right? I know what eyebrows are. But, uh, oh, Tim Tebow did that on a football game. So I read, no, 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 no. Know it. That you are loved. And that love was given so that you would live and not perish. So that you would live and not perish. How long do we live for? What's everlasting mean? Eternal. Forever. So here's the thing. God, when he looks at humanity, including you, including the people that slept in this morning, including the people that have no desire to go to church, when God looks down at humanity, he loves his creation. He loves people. How do we know this? That he sent his son as the atonement, as a churchy word for the sacrifice to make things right for everybody. And those who choose to believe, who receive that gift, they get to live. And they get to live forever. Here was the key idea in chapter 7. Here's the key idea. The key idea says this. I believe all people are loved by God and, it, and need Jesus Christ as their Savior. Horizontally, God, right, here's the big idea based on humanity. I believe all people are loved by God. God loves, right? And need Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, I'm going to go from the vertical, what does God see, right, to now let's go back to the horizontal. You started off today by writing, I blank people, okay? So here's, here's what I, I believe as I study this chapter, study the scriptures involved in this chapter. I believe this. It is only through, and this is not on the screens, it is only through my relationship with Jesus that I am able to love all people. How many people does God love? Come on. How many people does God love? Here's the truth. We don't love all people. Right? Now, we, you may want to, but the average human being doesn't love all people. You might love most. You might love just a few. I don't know. So here's what I'm discovering in my own walk. It is only, only, only through my relationship with Jesus that I'm able to love all people. Outside of Christ, I tolerate people. In Christ, when I'm sitting on Jesus' lap, and I'm able to stay and I'm able to see from his perspective and love as he loves. Then I have the greater opportunity and ability to love as Jesus loves, which is to love all, everyone. Does it mean that I agree with what they do? See, this is, the, this is, the, the, this is where we have to kind of understand this. I don't have to like or agree or bless everything that they do, but I get the opportunity to love the person. Raise your hand if you've ever done something stupid. Like, we act like we ain't never done nothing stupid. Every time we see somebody acting stupid, we're like, we're so judgmental. I'm the most stupid person in the room. But we go around reading Facebook posts like we ain't never said nothing stupid. Thank God there wasn't a TV or a video camera following me around when I was 19, 21 years old. Nobody would be here. Maybe a little early. I was doing, I, God got a hold of me a little bit in 21. Good gravy. But yet we walk around high and mighty with our judgmental crowns on 
wagging our finger at culture and people and all these things. Meanwhile, whoo, let's keep our closet door closed. Man, what a slippery slope that we're in. But it's only through Christ. It's only through my relationship with Jesus that I'm able to love all people. Now, here's how I've discovered this. Um, uh, I typically love people who agree like I agree. Uh, it's really easy for me to love people who think what I think, right? Are you with me? Right? But, man, you give me somebody that doesn't, I really begin to struggle. And, um, I, but God is currently teaching me, one of your pastors, this. Uh, and so I'm going to bring up a hot topic, okay? And I'm doing this on purpose for two reasons. One is I, I want to provide an opportunity for ministry. And two, I'm going to create an emotion. And this is on purpose, okay? And so, uh, because this is not a political issue. This is, a, this is an issue that has been politicized, and it has to be. But I want to talk to you about the issue of abortion. Pro-life and pro-choice, right? In the context of humanity. So I was born in 1977, the year of our Lord. Um, 41 years old, right? So I'm about in the middle. Some of you are older. Some, most of you are probably younger than I am, but uh, several of you are older. But ever since I've been alive and able to understand uh, media, news, whatever, abortion has always been a hot topic. It's always been a part of my life, right? But it never really uh, became... Uh, important to me until my early, early 20s when um, my mom and dad sat me down and shared with me that my youngest sister uh, had, was going, had an unplanned pregnancy. So she was 16 at the time in high school. Uh, I was in college, and to say that that shook and rocked my family would be a very big understatement. Some of you have walked that path personally, or it's been a part of your family. But at 20, in my early 20s, it wasn't political, nor was it biblical, but in that conversation with my family, as we walked that path, my sister gave, uh, chose life, and she, gave, she, gave, uh, 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 she had a little healthy baby boy who's in his 20s now and spoiled completely rotten, right? He's spoiled rotten, right? He's awesome. Um, but in that early days when we were uh, navigating that hurt and watching how people treated my sister, all of those things, not, not biblical, it wasn't biblical, and it wasn't political, but I formed an opinion on this issue of life. And I just, I just went, I, my, my mind has always been I'm pro-life. I'm, I'm going to be a person that's going to care for the life of the baby. That's, that's, that's my, and so again, I, I've created an emotion. Either you agree with me or now we're enemies, right, uh, or we disagree, right? So speed forward, that, that's not a conversation I'm having all the time until I get into ministry. And I was sharing this with one of our leaders this morning. I, I, I was honestly shocked, and this is ignorant, but I'll own it. I was shocked in my ministry from, uh, I, was in, I was in ministry for 10 years in South Florida, and then I planted this church seven years ago. I was surprised how many men and women, how many women and men, a part of the ministries that I were a part of, were dealing with the after effects of choosing an abortion. I, I was so ignorant of the fact, I thought that was something that unchurched people did. I'll own my ignorance. I had no idea that there were many, many families within the congregation that were dealing with that issue. Not just women, men. Brothers, sisters, grandmas, and grandpas, this emotional stuff that follows that decision. And so I begin to go, wow, I, there, there is a need for care, right? And so just an awareness that I didn't have. Now, four weeks ago, uh, at the end of January, uh, the legislation in New York makes a decision, right? Uh, the Reproductive Health Act, whatever it's called, right? And it just turns up the heat on this issue of abortion where it, it is now a hugely, even more so politicized issue. And pe most people that are paying attention, they don't have some type of opinion on, on this, right? On what's going on. I did too. I did too, right? And, um, and I, I had that pro-life um, kind of zeal kind of bubbling up in me. 
And I was at, I was, God, God intervened for me in this way to, to kind of help me love. Um, I was invited, I, I, I set up a breakfast between these, these guys at Big Biscuit, which is awesome. Um, uh, but there is the, the guy's name is Seth Bedemoja. Seth Bedemoja is a pastor in West Shawnee. He's a church planner that I get to help encourage and coach. And uh, church, uh, Seth, in his uh, off, off hours, he ministers at Advice and Aid. And Advice and Aid is a ministry here in Shawnee. They have one in Oakland Park and other places. And there's others like Advice and Aid. But what Advice and Aid does, it's a not-for-profit that helps educate those who are considering having an abortion. Uh, and again, not just the, the moms, but also the family that's a part of that decision. But also they provide the care, the post-care, the emotional care on the backside for those who have made that decision that come in and are, are experiencing some emotional trauma. And I got to be able to sit at the table with, with Seth and hear how God is working within this hot topic issue of abortion and the ministry that he gets to personally do and how he gets to see God work. Right? Here's what God will let me hear. And so this is good for everyone in the room who is pro-life, right? Because here's the, that, that was kind of my political attitude towards a, I would say, also a biblical issue. Is that in Seth's conversation, here's what I heard. In my zeal for the unborn and the passion for that life, I could also create shame and hurt for the mom who is making that decision. That in my love for that baby, I could unintentionally despise a mom. And I was like, and I told Seth, I said, dude, can I, can I just thank you so much for giving me, let me hear that conversation. Because here's what God wants me to say to, to us today as a church. New City is for life. But we're also for every person in this room who has walked this path. And I, I intentionally, as a church, we, we, there is no shame there's no, like, we care. It's an extremely private issue. I get that. It's not typically something we walk around and talk about. It's something that we carry. But if you're here and that's been your path, don't, don't, don't hear because that Pastor Matt's for life, which I am, that I'm anti-you. I'm not anti-you. The elders of this church, myself included, we love you and are willing to walk with you through everything. And we could put that on any different issue, right, that we typically want to press off to the sidelines and don't know how to deal with. But we are for, so... You don't have to, you can keep it, you can keep it close, and you can keep it close to your chest and not share it with anybody. The ball is totally in your court, but you can also uh, contact and share and care and say, man, I, I would love to talk. I would love to have some help. I will, and we're not going to go, oh my gosh. We're going to say, we love you. Let's walk through this together. How can I be for one life and be anti the other? Seth helped me realize, and it was a quick, oh my gosh. But Seth let me realize that when you're pro-life holistically, it's not just the baby, it's also the mom. And it's the dad, and it's the family that's a part of that conversation. So I share that with, with those in the room who are maybe like I am, that, that you go, but to be careful that in our hope for something, we don't hurt something else. That we would welcome and love and care and show the love that God has for humanity. Because So this is why I brought it up, two reasons, right? To create an emotion but also to say something, is that we struggle loving the world as God loves. We, we get in the, the issues get in the way, and because of an issue that you have strong opinions on, it gets in the way of your love for that person. Here's just a simple truth for everybody in the room. There is a person attached to every issue you're passionate about. Every issue that you're passionate about, there is a life attached, a story, a real person 
that's attached to that issue. Here, so I told you we're going to play a little game. It's not a game, but we're going to make this like choose your own adventure, right? So are you guys ready? I'm going to ask you five questions, and I want you to write down names that are associated in your life with these five questions. You're not allowed to write one name down twice, okay? Because they could come up in multiple, multiple categories. So I just want you, there could be one name, there could be multiple names, but I want you to play along with me. I am taking you somewhere. If I was a lawyer, this would be leading, okay? All right? Here we go. First, first, first names I want you to write down is this. Who lives with you? Like who's in your home? Look for everybody to play along. There's going to be enough questions that you might, may not be able to memorize this. Who lives with you? Question number two. During the work day, who do you interact with the most? Think about your work week. Who do you encounter, interact with the most? If you're a teacher, my friend Matt's a teacher, uh, he might always typically rub shoulders with the same group of teachers, right? If you work in a factory or something like that, you might work right next to If you're not in the workforce yet and you're in school, who do you sit by the most? In homeroom, first hour, like who do you typically hang with the most at, in your school setting? Okay, question number three. If you're a parent, if your parents are still living, write their names. If your parents are still living, write their names. Or those who raised you. Okay. Number four, here you go. Who is the most annoying person you know? <laughs> who is the most annoying? And if you write my name down, Jesus is watching, all right? <laughs> who is the most annoying person you know? It's okay, you can write code, right? You can write in code. We're not here to hurt anybody's feelings. But come on, don't be acting like there ain't people that annoy you, right? Okay. Question number five, last question. Who is the person that when you think of them, you become angry? Ooh. <laughs> Who is the person that when you think of them, you become angry? Person that's hurt you. Person that broke your heart. Stole your money. Wrecked your car. Right? When you think of this person, you don't want to. But when you think of them, and you hear that song that reminds you of them, your blood pressure rises. You laugh because we have them, right? Okay. Now, I want you to, okay, look at your list. I'm going to assume that most of the people that you wrote down are people that you have personal, personal stuff with, right? Personally, no. Now, if there are things on your list of people that you don't personally know, why are you returning to that stuff? Like, do yourself some good and quit watching that station, Right? Quit reading that news feed, right? Like, do your heart some good and take a, take a fast from whatever it is. But most of the people that you wrote down are probably people that you have personal interaction with, right? You with me? Okay. Here's how we practice loving them. I want to read to you a famous passage in 1 Corinthians that's read most of the times at weddings. It might have been read at yours. It's the, called the love chapter, right? But this is how you and I get to practice loving the world as God loves. Because what I'm about to read is the attitude that Jesus had and continues to have towards all of humanity. And so notice, I started with your household. Right? Let's not skip over our Jerusalem to go to the world. Right? Moms and dads, husbands and wives, if you're living with people, this is me saying quit being a jerk to those in your life. I talked about those you work with. Right? Talked about those who annoy you, right, and to those that make you angry. So we're going to sit in, and so if you have your Bible app, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, the first part of 8. It's not on the screens, 
because you need to, if you don't have a Bible app or your Bible with you, just download one. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 through the first part of 8. And I want you to reflect on these names that you wrote down as I read this scripture over us. Are you ready? This could sting a little bit, but this is our example, right? New City's mission is to inspire you to trust in and live like Jesus, to have the same attitude that of Christ. Here we go. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, meaning you wish you had. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. Love is not rude. Is not self-seeking. Love is not irritable. And it keeps no record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This week, as you go about your life, here's what I would invite you to do. Take 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm sorry, chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, and write it out in your own handwriting. Don't copy and paste it and print it out. Take the time to write out 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through the first part of 8. Write it out in your own handwriting and put it where you will often see it. And say, that's my goal. That's Jesus, help me in you to love the world like you loved me. You know what's awe-inspiring? You know what will be amazing? Is when Jesus' words ring true. In the world, humanity will know us by our love. Not by what you're for or against, but they will know you by your love. Super applicable. Nobody has to do it, but I'm telling you, if we do it, we'll change the world. You'll change your family, you'll change your workplace, you'll, you'll, your heart will get better.